You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM. And good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Dear Parliament. Um, as, as I say often, it's, the, it's a, done in an attempt to bring you closer to Parliament. And, and no doubt there's some exciting stuff happening this week in Parliament with the State of the Nation address happening tomorrow. And yes, it's no doubt will be uh, well attended by by all our members of parliament and ministers and all dressed up to to the nines, uh, looking fantastic and uh, trying to to look their best. Somehow reminds me of the Academy Awards, uh, with all its its pomp and glamour. But anyway, it's it's a time for the president to to reflect on on what has happened and over the past 5 years and to uh, make more promises and try and solve the country's issues and and update us on progress of uh, what has happened since his last state of the nation address well in 2019 the president promised quite a few things um mostly around employment the economy uh, escom around infrastructure development, healthcare, and also uh, corruption. You know, there, there were many promises made, most of which have, have not actually um, happened or, or even come close to, to, to seeing, seeing reality, which is quite sad. It just reflects um, the capabilities of, of our, our current government and their willingness to uh, actually sort out, sort out the country. From my point of view, there does seem to be a considerable uh, lack of focus and um, I'd say a more uh, focusing on the wrong the wrong issues. Uh, government uh, seems to focus on issues that aren't particularly relevant to South Africa at, at, in our current state and does seem to uh, focus on things that promote their, their image and uh, political standing rather than addressing the issues and needs of society as a whole. Um, one of the, the issues that uh, Roma Pauza spoke about in the 2019 SONA was employment. And obviously he promised, promised a, well, first of all, he recognized that South Africa has a huge unemployment problem, um, certainly around around the youth with, uh, with a significant number uh, of youth being un, unemployed. In fact, that's the largest sector that that is is unemployed um Ramaphosa promised uh, partnerships with the private sector that would boost uh, employment um none of that does seem to have happened at all yet in fact uh, in 2019 at the time of his his uh, state of the nation address then um, unemployment was in the expanded definition around 38 percent now we're sitting at uh, the recent a recent survey uh, or status says now now uh, released the, the figures we're now up to 41% which is a considerable considerable increase um this is uh, also taking into account uh, covid the in 2019 the figures were, were obviously before covid so we can't blame covid for 
for loss loss of 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 jobs there but employment has has grown considerably especially uh, amongst the youth and that obviously affects the economy which is uh, the, another topic the president did did speak about and uh, i think we i don't need to explain much there but you know they can definitely see it just by the performance of the rand at the time in 2019 the rand was at around 14 rand to the dollar and uh, today we're sitting at uh, almost 19 rand to the dollar. That explains a lot about the economy. GDP has slowed down, uh, although it has grown. It has most certainly not grown to uh, to the expectations as or projections that it that it was supposed to. And this, of course, because of uh, the electricity problems by by ESCOM. Uh, ESCOM is not much to say about that either. I think we all know all know the problems here since. You know, since uh, 2019, when Ramaphosa promised that uh, a serious effort and um, a turnaround, would, a serious effort would be put into uh, turning around ESCOM and focusing on uh, refurbishing a lot of the power stations, making them more reliable and more stable, the situation has only gotten worse, as, as we know. Um, last year, there were uh, 335 days of, of blackouts just last year alone in 2013, which is an, an incredible amount and obviously the highest it's, it's ever been. ESCOM also received 181.6 billion rand in bailouts over the past five years. And that is an incredible, incredible amount of money. And of course, that comes from you and I as taxpayers. Uh, the economists... Um, uh, have suggested that around 1.6 trillion rand has been lost due to due to uh, due to the load shedding crisis and, and energy crisis, which is 1.6 trillion rand is almost a, a number that you you cannot even fathom. It is it is incredible, and of course the infrastructure development, which goes in in touch with uh, with ESCOM and other uh, other state owned entities. Um, there was supposed to be a lot of focus on public-private partnerships, and unfortunately, this has uh, not been addressed due to considerable amounts of corruption within within the, especially the construction construction uh, sector. Around sixty-eight million rand, or sorry, sixty-eight billion rand, has been is estimated to have been lost through uh, construction mafias, which is a, a major major problem within within this within the sector. And then of course, healthcare. What what more can I say on healthcare other than the NHI, which was promised uh, in in 2019 as as a total reform, um, uh, free healthcare for for every South African, as we see it. And then questions are raised around the affordability and so on. It has been the bill has been signed in by Parliament, and it is currently sitting on the president's desk. And the president has publicly stated that it will be signed in uh, before the end of the term, before elections. And of course, corruption is always a major, major issue. Uh, corruption was mentioned in 2019 with major steps to address the corruption, um, which hardly any came, 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 into, came into light, um, which resulted in South Africa being grey-listed by the Financial Action Task Force. That's a major problem because that um, deems South Africa as not a viable investment to international investors, which again affects the economy and so on. Um, in fact, on corruption, South Africa has been 
ranked in on the on the international corruption index it's the worst uh, corruption that south africa at the worst level corruption of corruption that south africa has ever been ever seen and which is uh, they deem they actually call it a flawed democracy which is rather concerning for every south african the corruption is is has become a, a definite uh, epidemic in, in South Africa. You can't do a business from the private sector without being corrupt, um, without offering bribes, with without uh, something, you know, some secret deal going on. And that just uh, doesn't doesn't contribute towards the bettering of, of our situation in any way whatsoever. And also, also of course, there just seems to be a, a lack of uh, prosecution and progress on on several findings and key players in in as defined by by the Zondo Commission, and corruption is is no better than than it was in in 2019. But hopefully, uh, Ramaphosa will reveal some some magic and maybe pull a rabbit out of his hat. Who knows? But that they, I don't hold much hope. I just see it as probably more more promises and and more disappointment. Um, unless something drastic does 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 happen here you are listening to dear parliament with rob hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen welcome back and uh, if you missed the intro please catch up you can have a recording on on our uh, website at uh, www.highfm.com and you can catch up with podcasts there. Um, but as I was talking about before the break, uh, talking about SONA and State of the Nation and various projects uh, around the economy, uh, infrastructure development, healthcare, corruption, and so on. And today I have uh, with me once again, the journal, investigative journalist extraordinaire, Kieran Ryan. How are you doing, Kieran? Hey, Rob. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, always, always good, Kieran. Yeah, we've got many topics to talk about. I mean, we we touched on a few last week, um, which were fantastic, and unfortunately ran out of time. But let's continue continue that discussion. And uh, I'm sure you have a few a few topics up your sleeve here that that we can we can chat about. Yeah, I've been looking at the whole question of these polls, the pre-election polls. So the, the elections are coming mm. up in a few months, and uh, there's a range of these polls. And what strikes me about this is, you know, and we discussed this, and I think you might have a slightly different opinion. Uh, not that, that my opinions are guided by what these polls are saying. Um, and it does appear that the ANC is going to drop below 50%. There are some. Uh, a few outliers who do see the ANC uh, getting more than 51%. I'm not saying that that's what you were indicating last week when we were having the discussion. I think you were more uh, indicating that the ANC would be in a position with a coalition partner to retain control. And I think that's pretty much borne out by the polls. Just before we touch on the polls, I want to go to the SONA speech. State of the Nation speech, mm. which um, is coming up this Thursday, as you mentioned. And I, I was just thinking about this and what does the ANC do to try and motivate the electorate? Because one of the, the evidences of voter apathy are everywhere. And just look at yeah. the voter turnout. It's, 
kind of slipped below it, it's probably around 57 percent somewhere that that was the last time will it be more this year than last it, it, this is like moving the titanic you know to, to get people really excited you need a character like uh donald trump whatever you think of him he certainly was a galvanizing figure and he got people to pay attention or xavier Millet, the the new argentinian president you know somebody who goes out there and he just trashes everybody in sight in, in a way and he talks a very plain language that people resonate with and i, I think what what ramaphosa is going to bring up in his state of the nation this week is the 30-year history of delivery of the ANC. Now, if you look at that and you say, well, you know, we've got load shedding and we've got ports that don't function and we've got a rail network that doesn't function. What he's going to do is he's going to point to things that really count to the ordinary voter. For example, access to housing, access to sanitary conditions, sewage, I agree. Access I agree. To electricity and so on. So, uh, you know, here are the stats for that. I mean, if you go back to 1995, the year after uh, the first democratic elections, African households had 33%, only 33% of them had access to water in their homes. 22% had an inside flush toilet and 51% had electricity. Now you come to today, what do you have? You've got 90% uh, got access to electricity, pretty much close to that, 88% with access to piped water and 84% with access to sanitation. So he's going to point to those things um, and he's obviously going to try and deflect attention from the, the, the horrible stories of corruption, which you just touched on in your introduction, uh, which is, is that really going to count at the end of the day? It's hard to know. Now, let's just come to some of these uh, these electioneering polls because they are quite interesting. And, and by the way, you know, when it comes to corruption, I don't think this is something that the ordinary voter understands is that because of load shedding and because of Transnet, we've got a, a hard ceiling in terms of economic growth. Our growth this year is probably going to be about 1.5%. Now you compare wow. China, the, the machine that you have in China or India, much bigger economies where you can, you're probably going to get 5%, which, which is actually lower, quite a bit lower than China has historically had, but it's still yeah. extraordinary that they can achieve that. So we're looking at 1.5%. You know, we just cannot get out of this rut of low growth. And there's a number of, the, and the budget, of course, is coming up next week, and we're going to see how they divvy up that and how they come after us for more taxes and, and, and so on. Exactly. And how they plan to to fund the, the National Health Insurance Bill. Uh, I see Davi Root, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> Davi Root says it's a, a pipe dream uh, just in the last week. And I tend to agree mm. with that because if you get down into the, the weeds and you start figuring out how are we going to pay for this thing, um, we you know, with close to a, a one, is it a one trillion Rand budget. It's a little bit less than that. And our current healthcare budget is 233 billion. No, that's, that's, huge, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, huge shortfall there. So, uh, do you want to get into the polls? Yeah, yeah, let's chat about the polls because they are rather quite uh, interesting. I mean, we've seen quite a variance from, from different polls. There's some polls have predicted uh, an ANC win, some polls have predicted a loss, and 
DA, uh, DA win and others have predicted a, a total uh, downfall for, for the DA. It's, it's, it's quite, quite, quite a variance out there. Yeah, I, the polls are all over the place. But the, the one that caught my attention, it's a recent one from David Everett at Wits University, which came out in, I guess, the last couple of weeks. The poll was actually done between uh, the last week in January and the first week in February. And mm-hmm. if you look at the results coming out of this, it, it does look like the ANC is going to lose overall power. But I'm more interested in the provincial breakdown. The only two provinces which look like the ANC is going to retain overall control are Limpopo and Eastern Cape, 59% and 57%. (laughs) Every other province, the ANC has got below 50%. So Northwest, they're expecting 48%. And by the way, this is based on interviews done with 9,000 people. So it's quite representative. Uh, And what is different about this poll is that there aren't... um, Imputations made. I, I don't know what the correct word is that st- statisticians use, but <laughs> in some of these previous polls, they've made uh, imputations about voters who were undecided. Not in this case. Yes. So in Pumalanga, 46% for the ANC. Northern Cape, 46% for the ANC. Free State, Ace Mahashula's uh, home to 42%. Wow. Um, Gauteng, 35%. Probably not surprising because the ANC has been slipping there for, for quite a while. Mm. With the DA there scoring 20%. KwaZulu Natal, another shocker, 26% for the ANC. So this is this is the next province to topple quite clearly, unless the ANC, it's still the biggest party with 26%, but you've got the IFP, which is running at about 15%, and you've got the DA running at 15% in KwaZulu Natal. Now, they could cobble together a coalition there and um, and take control of that province if the ANC doesn't manage to do that. So, of course, there is the, the moonshot pact where you've got the DA lining up with the FF Plus and Action SA and all of the, a bunch of these smaller parties. They, they call it the multi-party charter or the moonshot pact. Interesting. That just reminds me of a shot in the dark, but right. <laughs> it might just be. You know, you I just, just want to, yeah. just before we finish, just the last one, and this is mm-hmm. perhaps the most interesting Western Cape. Yes. Where the DA looks like it's lost overall majority, it's down to 42%. And the ANC has also slipped. It used to have 29%, now down to 24%. So you've got a bunch of these smaller parties like Good, which is, you know, Patricia DeLille's party, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is her home territory. You've got the Patriotic Alliance doing quite well there. So, I I mean, I don't think that the the, the DA is going to lose control there, but this whole message that they have, you know, we're – our thing is that we're great at governing and all of the municipalities where we have control, you know, they win all the awards they, and, and, and they do fairly well. It appears that the Western Cape voters maybe don't agree with that. So we're going to have some turmoil potentially there. Anyway, over to you, Rob. Yeah, that, that, oh, the Western Cape is fascinating. Now, I've always said that the Western Cape is, is hanging on a thread. Uh, the DAR, the DA if they don't do something drastic, um, uh, to or something other than fixing the roads, um, then then they are facing a considerable considerable backlash from from their current voters. Um, the the question is who who would their current voters vote for? That's always 
in in my opinion, that the DA's only managed to retain retain power because of of their voters simply haven't got anyone else uh, to vote for, or they don't see anyone else. But that brings in uh, parties like Action SA, who, uh, if you look at the latest Ipsos Ipsos polls, Action SA is shooting for it. Um, uh, up uh, in on provincial uh, uh, on provincial voting, but uh, they say they predict it will take about four point three percent. It goes to Action SA, which is quite quite phenomenal. And on a national level, three point four percent. That's that's quite large. Um, that's ahead of the Freedom Front and and all the other and a lot of the other parties who I expected would would um, you know, be be fourth and fifth. Um, and also encroaching on on the DA's DA share there. The Ipsos one shows that uh, the DA overall is dropping. Um, it does face does face a bit considerable problem there, um, and also the, the ANC dropping below below forty percent. It's like I said, it's it's amazing how these polls polls do vary. And um, I don't know, if we look if we look at uh, international trends here, you know, the polls lately have been completely wrong, simply because people. Don't know who to vote for at 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 this stage. There's, it's far. It's a bit too far away from the elections. We don't know what the uh, party manifestos will will reveal yet, and and so on. So I think it's a bit early for for any poll to 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 be trusted at at this stage. It's which is, it should explain why there, there's such a variance. And of course, it depends who who they interviewed. I know they try to interview across the board, but. And people are quite secretive, and when they, when you ask them who they're going to vote for, and especially, uh, especially in the, in the sort of the ANC's market, do they want to say they're going to vote for ANC, uh, or would they rather keep a secret and then change their vote as they as they get into the poll, as they get into the voting booth? Kieran, I think it's 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 all up in the air at at this stage, and I think the you correctly mentioned that the ANC. Um, Will focus in, or will focus on uh, on providing healthcare and all the all the good things that that they have achieved, although there are a few um, over the past five years. But that that will he might be revealing um, what the ANC's election manifesto will will be, well, what will be in their election manifesto through through Sona tomorrow. But yeah, that's we should catch up again next week and then. And then compare notes as to what happened, and so do a proper thorough analysis of that, and and then again reflect reflect on on the polls. But yeah, I think it's I don't know. You know, there's there's also been a report that um, there are. I think it came from uh, from the IC themselves that there's more than one million new voters that have been added to uh, to the voters' role, which is encouraging in one way. Um, but discouraging in another way. We don't know who who the voters were, who the vote, new registrants were. Is it is it youth voters? Is it people who haven't voted before? Uh, who who will they support? Well, that remains to be seen. But one million is 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 quite a significant number to to add to the of new voters to to participate in in the upcoming elections. Yeah, I mean, if I can just jump in there, you you talked about the Ipsos. Poll. Um, Ipsos is a research agency. They're pretty good at these polls. Mm. They reckon the ANC is going to get about 43% overall nationally. Uh, but there's a bunch of other polls I was just looking at last night. The Brenthurst Foundation, that's uh, the Oppenheimer uh, Family Foundation. 
they reckon 41% for the ANC, so they're not too far out there. Um, then the SRF, they reckon it's going to be 45%, and uh, that's the Social Research Foundation. Uh, 45% by the SRFs, 46.5% by both the Institute for Race Relations and the Center for Risk Analysis. Now, all of these pretty respectable organizations that are saying DA is probably going to get 45% or less. That seems to be the, 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 the main finding there. However, you look at the DA, what are they polling at? Ipsos says 20%. Well, that's less than they got in the last election. Brentos yeah. Foundation says 23%. CRA, Center for Risk Analysis, they say 26.1%. And the, uh, the SRF, which is the uh, Social Research Foundation, they say 31%. So you've got a variance there. That's a huge variance. 11%. Yeah. So that, there, there's something on now. You look at the DA's own polling. Uh, which they came out with, I think it was in November or December last year, where they say they've narrowed to within seven points of the ANC. So th their own internal polling is showing the ANC, the DA at 32% and the ANC at 39%. Uh, clearly, wow. what this is, um, and they do believe things can change quite radically, you pointed this out, as we get into the electioneering season, people are going to get out there and they're going to whip up all kinds of fears and, and ghosts and ghouls in order to get you to, you know, don't stray from your, your traditional voting pattern. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, I think the DA, is there something wrong with their messaging? Because this whole idea of, uh, you know, good governance, uh, is it still perceived as, a, you know, the national party in, you know, in a South African flag, or is it something else? And I think yeah. they haven't quite overcome that, uh, that messaging or that branding. What do you think? I, I agree. I absolutely agree with you on, on, on that one, um, which is why I, I, I think Action SA is, is jumping up there. Herman Schaub has a, an incredibly strong uh, following and a, a, loyal, a loyal voter base. And they do appeal to, to everyone uh, across the race barrier. And that, that works in his favor without, without a doubt. Um, he's mostly uh, strong, he's strongest in Gauteng, obviously, because he was... Um, the, the DA um, mayor of Joburg there, so we know we know that he is 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 capable and he has insight into the DA's uh, method of politics and campaigning, um, and I think that works in in his favour as well. But uh, I think a lot of people are underestimating the 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 smaller parties, um, the Freedom Front. Um, I think the the polls aren't aren't uh, truly reflecting. Uh, their their possibilities. Just remember that they grew by almost four hundred percent in the last in the last uh, national elections, which is an incredible amount. Um, will they will they be able to do the same this time around? Yeah. Well, let's see. But there are other players, and also um, there are new players as well. There's Zuma's in, um, uh, party now. Yeah, yeah. Although it, it is a it is an out, outlier, but you know it, it does have considerable uh, influence, um, especially within KZN. That's why I'm not so sure the KZN provincial figures are are correct at this stage. They, they were probably done before the announcement of of, of his party. <laughs> but again, we who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But let's let's chat about this um, after after we have a quick break. Yeah. 
you are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen. Hey, welcome back. And Kieran, uh, the poll story is, is, is fantastic and interesting. But yeah, I mentioned um, right about the state of, when I was talking about the SONA, and you also mentioned it as well, is uh, various projects that uh, government has employed, especially around uh, turning around state-owned entities like ESCOM and Transnet and, and so on. And some work has been undertaken, not enough in my opinion, um, to, to address these failing institutions. Uh, what do you think is, is happening, especially in Transnet? Uh, Transnet is quite an interesting example of what happens when government decides to get rid of the cadres. Cadres, is that the right way you pronounce it? And cadres. Cadres, mm. yeah. And, and put in industry specialists. Um, I wrote a story on this for MoneyWeb. Uh, just this week, looking at particularly the case of Transnet and what has been going on there. Uh, I mean, it's a bit early to say that it's, you know, that spring has arrived for state-owned enterprises, but there are some encouraging signs at Transnet. If you look at the December stats, the, um, like the most of the, the rail freight that Transnet carries is coal going to the Richards Bay Coal Terminal. Now, that was up 10% in December. They're doing about an average of 1.1 million tons a week. Um, now, if you look at what's happened on a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis, it's only up 4%. Yeah, it's not exciting, uh, but there are signs that things are beginning to improve. Now, if you go back to, you know, Transnet was the, was the, the jewel in the Gupta crown, you know, for state capture and corruption. Uh, they just fleeced this organization. And, you know, when Brian Malefi was running it there as CEO, the whole idea was <clears throat> we've got to get more locomotives. So they did this crazy deal with, uh, with this Chinese uh, locomotive company. And <laughs> it, it, was, well. it was, yeah, and, and these, these locomotives, uh, there was also a Spanish company involved. They were the wrong size. They didn't fit and all that kind of thing. I mean, it made us a laughing stock of the world. But, you know, to fix an organization, yes, you need rolling stock, you need locomotives, you need wagons, but it's much more fundamental than that. It's um, when it comes to rail, it's about signaling systems. You know, it's that, that's when, you know, you look at the Sission uh, Saldana line, which runs between the Northern Cape and Saldana Bay down in the Western Cape. That's 861 kilometers long. And you have these huge trains, some of the longest in the world, they're about 10 kilometers long. You can't slow down a 10-kilometer train that easily. You can't just slam on the brakes. You know, you, you need to prepare for that like kilometers in advance. So yeah. when the signaling systems fail and there's been derailings there, which can block the line, and it takes days for that uh, that derailing to be fixed, uh, it affects the, the production and the export capacity of firms like Kumba Iron Ore, which is based mm -hmm. in the Cape. They just can't get their product to the port as fast as they want. And, and it's showing up in their results. So you, you, you start seeing how Transnet's lack of performance is impacting the mining sector. We've had this commodities boom that's been going on in South Africa and around the world since, uh, since COVID, since 2020. Unfortunately, it completely bypassed South Africa. Why? Because of load shedding and because we couldn't get sufficient product to the port. That's yeah. the problem that we've been running into. Last week, we were, on, we were discussing the, the issue of the container port at Durban, 
uh, Pier 2, where uh, in December we had 20 ships at Anchorage. That's 20 ships waiting to offload. <laughs> now, that has been reduced to about four or five ships at Anchorage. So there again, there's an improvement. Now, what happened? There was a, there was a couple of fundamental things that happened to uh, spark this turnaround. And, you know, to, to look at one month stats or one quarter stats and say, okay, everything's turned, we're, you know, we're on, we're on the home run and, and yeah. start celebrating. No, we're, we're not there. A bit yet. optimistic. <laughs> it's a bit optimistic. The, the first thing is, was, you know, you had this outrage, deliberate, not, not deliberate, but deserved outrage from people like the Minerals Council of South Africa, the Durban Chamber of Commerce and Industry, and they were calling for the, the firing of the then CEO of Transnet, Porsche Derby, and Mzumela, Cesar uh, Kelly Mzumela, who used to be the CEO of Transnet Freight Rail, because they were seen to be sabotaging business. You know, there was a Bloomberg seminar last year where Porsche Derby got up and she said, well, you know, if we fix the railway system, imagine what it'll do to uh, jobs in the trucking sector. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is handing a gift into your competitors. Yeah, you know, so it's clear, you know, he was in That's a fair point, though. You've got to admit it's a well, fair point. Yeah, you're going to de destroy jobs in the trucking sector, as you should, because they're also tearing up the roads. You know, there, there's just too many trucks on the roads. So they got rid of um, those those two individuals, you know, Porsche and uh, the CEO of the Transnet Freight Rail, and uh, they appointed two other people, Michelle Phillips, uh, she's an advocate, she's now the acting CEO for the group, and Russell Bikies, who's the CEO for Freight Rail. And they really seem to have been doing quite incredible work. And then Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon, who I'm not a great fan of, um, but he did move in when he was required to, and he just loaded the board with, uh, with engineers and specialists, and he put in uh, and Dila Sanku, who's the mineral council, he was from the minerals council. He's now the chair of Transnet. Now, the, the mining sector is the biggest customer for Transnet. So you want to give these guys a voice. And what they did was they started implementing things that didn't require huge investment. It didn't require 100 new locomotives. They started addressing things like scheduling and getting better turnaround on the Sishin Saldana iron ore rail line. You know, instead of taking 80, uh, 100 hours for a train to turn around. They're now doing it in 80 hours, which means you can run an extra train per day with the same amount of locomotives and, and wagons that you've got. Uh, and this, of course, is also supported by Cyril Ramaphosa. You know, he, he did push for this. So he's going to be talking about this on Thursday, and isn't it a great thing? Um, I'm not saying it's a great thing. I want to see. Uh, I want to see another few months of improvement. But uh, we really do need it because the, the, these are the two hard caps that we've got to grow this economy: load shedding and transmit. Without a doubt, Karen, and I, uh, I, I think that's that's a fantastic um, synopsis of it. And I think what what you one highlight that that I picked up there was uh, focusing on efficiency rather than. Rather, rather than a complete turnaround and spending more money, which is what government tends to do, government's approach is always throw money at the problem like, because it's not their money; it's it's taxpayers' money, of course. And you know, if if you approach say the private sector, uh, you'll have a look at the private sector approach. It's uh, more focused on uh, efficiency, um, getting more bank bank for your buck, and that that makes a a, a huge difference in 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 everything, which I think. 
um, government needs to focus more on. But oh, I'd love to talk about uh, the private sector's involvement in, in there from from all levels, uh, from uh, employing um, experienced CEOs, engineers, and also with, with partnerships, which um, public-private partnerships, which Roma Pausa did actually mention in his, in his previous CERN address. But again, not much has, has happened on on that on that side. But before we before we do that, um, let's pay the bills again. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. Democracy doesn't just happen. But the show doesn't just happen either. It takes a, a bit of research and great discuss, discussion uh, with fantastic uh, guests such as uh, Kieran Ryan. Kieran, we were chatting about um, privatization. I think I, I mentioned I want to talk about uh, privatization. And uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? What, what do you think? I think it's a good thing. Um, why? Because the state is completely incompetent at running business. They should not be in that zone mm, at all. Mm, mm. Uh, and, and on that note, Karen, before you before you go on there, I did, did notice that uh, the John Steenhausen from the DA was recently talking about uh, privatization, focusing on pri- privatizing everything. Yet um, our current government seems to be totally opposed to that. So I think there's a, a major conflict of of political views there, probably driven by by ideology. Um, but yeah, I think. Let's, well, let's I'll, delve I'll, deep into that. Yeah, yeah I'll tell you where the there, there's a divergence of viewpoint. You know, like a lot of people that I know very close to ESCOM uh, arguing, you know, should this great, great, in inverted commas, state asset be privatized? Well, of course, because its product is to have secure lighting and electricity that doesn't is not subject to load shedding. So, you know, they're failing at that. So you've got to come up with a plan to address that. On the other hand, you would look at the, you know, you've got NERSA, which is the National Economic, uh, National Energy Regulator, that uh, I, I don't think they're that good at all. They, they're just pretty much rubber stamping. I, I know they do all kinds of research and, and, and so on. And they, you know, but every year it's 15, 17% increase and, you know, and they're just going to rubber stamp that. They're there to supposedly protect the consumer. And it's rather like the banking ombud. You know, the banking ombud is there to protect the consumer. What they do is they act as a post office for complaints (laughs) between the customer and the bank. And they write to the bank and say, hey, you know, you've just been accused of being naughty. Um, You know, you've charged interest rates you're not entitled to. The bank will respond (laughs) with a lie. And, you know, and they'll say, you know, case closed. That's not what they should be doing. You know, you, you need heavy litigation experience. You need people who prepare to take on the banks or to take on the National Energy Regulator. Uh, in this case, of course, you've got ESCOM. They're prepared to take NERSA to, to the course. But who is representing the consumer? And I, I'm arguing that it's not NERSA. Now, if you start privatizing things, this is one of the arguments that came up during the whole debate around the National Health uh, Insurance Bill. And you have the government saying, well, you know, you look at the cost of some of these health services that are provided privately, they're way out of line with, with what could be done in, in the rest of the world. Uh, if we have an NHI fund, we'll be able to use our bulk purchasing power and we'll be able to bring that down. The experience is in South Africa that it really creates incentives for corruption. And I don't see that disappearing. So on the one hand, you have 
incentives for gouging by the private sector. And that's why you've got the Competition Commission and the Competition Tribunal and all of these ombuds in place. Yeah. On the other hand, you've got government corruption. So we, we can debate this ad nauseum. And this is something that I don't think we're going to get away from. It does come back to this issue about uh, Transparency International. You mentioned that in your introduction and, you know, how we're slipping down the corruption rankings. We are now at number 83 in the world, whereas we were, uh, sorry, at 86 in the world, where we were at 53 just a decade. Yeah. Something no, that's, that's worrying. Yeah. Very, very, very worrying. Yeah. No, something is is absolutely wrong, and I think you're absolutely right on 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 that, Kieran. Um, the privatisation is is a hot topic, which I think maybe we should get into next week and and in in depth because there are so many facets around it at different at different levels. Um, I'd love to chat about about this next week. So, listeners, if you if you want to join us and in, in continue in, the, in this conversation, feel feel free to feel free to join us next week on. On, on the show at the same time. Thanks, thanks, Kieran, for, for, for being here once again with your fantastic insight. It was always, always a pleasure and, and good chats there. Uh, but unfortunately, we, we've run out of time uh, once again on, on this week's episode. If you've missed it, remember to catch up on with, with the podcast, which is on our website at www.highfm.com. And Listen to there, listen to previous episodes, go, go crazy. If you want us to chat about anything, uh, send a message to uh, 34519 and we'll we'll work it in, into your show. Test us, put us, put us on the edge. And thank you. Thanks for joining. And that brings us to, to the end. Remember to stay democratic, engaged, active and responsible. Ciao for now.